Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here and it's a privilege uh, to be able to bring the message to you today. Uh, today we're actually concluding a series called Killing Gods. Over the, the past couple weeks, we've been busy killing some gods around here. And today we're actually going to do something a little bit different than what we've been doing over the past few weeks. You see, the past, past few weeks what we've done is we've, we've taken some gods and, and we've held them up side by side and we've told you to choose one. And we've examined uh, the, the God of money, mammon. And we've, we've looked at self-God and we've taken a look at guilt God. And we've placed them up against the Lord God. And hopefully, in your hearts, the Lord God has won out over the past few weeks. Uh, but today, we're, we're going to do something um, uh, almost opposite of that. We're, we're going to take a look at uh, anti-science God. Now, some people will tell you that uh, you can't be serious about faith and, and uh, fully embrace science. Other people will say you can't be serious about science and, and fully embrace faith. And so instead of trying to convince you between two positions today, what, what I'm going to try to do is, is actually show you that they're not necessarily contrary to one another. In many stretches of the imagination, they're actually compatible and can be complementary to one another. Now, the problem is, is that our culture oftentimes tries to pit things on, on sides. They're very polarizing. Even though we, we, we tout tolerance as a high virtue, we, we are continuing to offer either-or solutions and propositions. Uh, for instance, uh, our society will tell you, you can either be a, a Republican or, or you can be a Democrat. You can either be pro-choice uh, or you can be pro-life. Uh, you can either be a University of Kentucky Wildcats fan <clears throat> or you can be a loser, all right? <laughs> See, I just did it to you. Now... Uh, admittedly, we had a big game on Friday. That was a big-time game. Today at 3 o'clock, what I'm going to ask all of us to do as a church is to fast and pray that Kentucky beats <laughs> North Carolina. Uh, we're going to need all the help that we can get, all right? But, but our society does the same thing here. Um, what they'll try to tell you is that it's an either-or proposition when it comes to science and religion. You can either be about science or you can be about religion, but they are mutually exclusive, uh, matter of fact, I came across this, this cartoon. I think it illustrates our societal's view on this. Take a look here. Uh, on the right-hand side, you have a religion. On the left-hand side, you have science that says, I, I know we can get along, and I'm willing to beat you halfway. And science says, well, we can give it a try. And that's what you end up with. Uh, the, the pit of dismal despair. They cannot exist. And that's what this culture would have us believe, right? But, but if that were the case... Um, you wouldn't find statistics like these, okay? The, the scientific community that exists today, upward toward 40% of scientists actually claim to believe in a God and would lean towards intelligent design. Uh, probably a more staggering statistic than that is 70% of Nobel Prize winners have and are Christians. They have been and they are Christians. Uh, many of the, the great scientific discoveries and the scientists themselves um, throughout history, have actually pursued the sciences out of their love and gratitude and awe of their faith in God. Uh, people, people like Kepler and Newton and Galileo and Sir Francis Bacon, all right, who happens to be the guy, uh, he didn't invent bacon, by the way, that's not the guy, all right, so, but Sir Francis Bacon was the guy who kind of came up with the scientific process that we still use today. Now, I truly believe that there can be harmony between these two positions, between science and religion. But in order to achieve harmony, it, it requires honesty and humility. And that's really the, the one thing that we're going to uh, reverberate throughout our conversation today, is this fact. Science and religion 
require pursuit of truth. Okay, both sides of the equation have to pursue truth, but they must do it with humility and with honesty. Now, here's what I'm not going to try to do today. I'm not going to try to prove to you guys uh, that science is right, and I'm not going to try to prove to you that religion is right. What I'm going to try to get us to do is get on the same page and understand that these two things can actually be in harmony with one another. So uh, allow me to just kind of... Uh, share with you my approach to this conversation today. If you, if you all have been reading along with us in our squad goal, our 70-day challenge, uh, we've been reading in the book of Acts. You've probably come across this guy named Paul. And Paul's an incredibly smart dude. And, and what you see happening all throughout his journeys is he's going around and he's trying to convince people. He's, he's reasoning with them uh, about this Jesus guy. But he does it in, in a very different way depending upon who he talks to. Sometimes he speaks to the Jewish audience and he goes to the synagogues and what he does is he opens up the scriptures and he reasons with them through the authority of the scriptures to help them understand who the Christ is. But, but when you see him talking to the Gentiles and, and he stands in the Areopagus, he doesn't use the scriptures because the scriptures for those guys aren't authoritative. Instead, he actually reasons with them through their own philosophers and their own concepts of nature and, and even their own concept of God to help them understand who Jesus is. Well, today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that latter approach. And so what you're going to see is that I'm not going to talk to you guys, and I'm not going to try to prove points today by using Scripture. Because the fact of the matter is, some of you guys that are in here today, you're still wrestling with whether or not you believe the Bible is the Word of God, the Holy Scripture. And some of you guys that are, that are listening to this online, you've not settled on that. And that's fine. This is a safe place for you to come and to figure those things out. But the other reason I'm not going to use Scripture today is because I think in order to, to talk about this topic and bring harmony to it, we actually don't need to use the Scriptures. There are other things that we can do in order to come to the conclusion that we need to come to. And so what I'm going to do today is you're going to hear some thoughts and ideas and quotes from agnostics and atheists. You're going to hear things from philosophers and professors, from theologians and mathematicians. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to bring these concepts into a place that leads us to understand our one thing, that science and religion must pursue truth. But we, we need to do that out of honesty and humility. So I'm going to ask that you all would lean in. And if you're prone to taking notes today, this might be an opportunity for you to pull out your phones or write some stuff down. And I'm going to do the very best job I can not to lose you along the way. Sound good? All right. Now allow me to start by sharing a disturbing quote from one of the, the foremost proponents against the idea of harmonizing these, these two disciplines. Uh, how many of you guys have heard of a, a guy named Richard Dawkins? Show of hands here. All right, some of you guys have heard of him. For those of you all that don't know who Richard Dawkins is, uh, he is an advent atheist. Um, he speaks out against religion. Um, he, is, uh, he was a professor at uh, Oxford University up until 2008 when he left his, uh, his professorship. He announced plans to, quote, uh, write a book aimed at youngsters in which he will warn them against believing in anti-scientific fairy tales. You know, that's, that's who Richard Dawkins is. He, he's a guy who his starting point of his worldview is at the opposite end of the spectrum of where my starting point in my worldview would be. And he's exactly the kind of guy that we need to hear from on a topic like what we're covering here this morning. And this is what he says. He says, one of the truly bad effects of religion is that it teaches us that it is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. Okay, this, this comes from the God delusion. It is a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. In other words, what he's saying is religion teaches you that ignorance is actually a virtue. Now, I made a proposition here. 
both religion and science needs to pursue truth with honesty and humility, right? And so if we are being honest with ourselves today, many religious people, for many religious people, this is an absolutely true statement. Is it not? You see, many of us who've, who've come to faith, hold to faith, uh, we simply have, have accepted the faith of our fathers. or We've received the religion of people that have passed it down to us without truly examining it and testing it and figuring out if it really is true. We, in many stretches, uh, have, have just said, you know what, I don't understand this. This is hard to grasp. And so in faith, what we've done is we've allowed ignorance to lead to faith a- and and that is exactly what Dawkins is trying to point out here. See, all too often when we approach difficult subjects through the lens of faith, we actually turn our brains off. And we end up with a flimsy faith. What Dr. John Lennox would say is actually, uh, it's a lazy faith. And we can't do that. But worse yet, um, sometimes our, our spiritual leaders or the churches that we have gone to what they do is they hide behind the guise of faith when it comes to difficult matters. And they discourage you from asking questions. And they just say, just believe. The Bible says so. And, and, and they've turned you away. Now, allow me just for a moment to speak to some of you that that might have been your experience. You've come from a church. You've come from a faith or religion. And uh, you have genuinely asked some questions that have been burning in your heart and in your mind. You don't understand them. But you've been met with... Uh, discouragement. You've been met with this idea of, you know what, you just need to have faith. You don't actually need to research that. Allow me to, at least on behalf of Christianity, to apologize to you today. Because of, of all faiths and all religions, Christianity, who says that Jesus is the truth, we should be the foremost proponents of asking questions and seeking any kind of discipline to be able to find the truth with honesty and humility. But oftentimes that's not what religion does. And so, let me just tell you straight up, any faith, any religion, any church that discourages questions should themselves be questioned. Any, any religion that would that tell you not to search after the truth but simply accept what I'm saying, that should be neglected. We should not leave our brains at the door. Matter of fact, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than any other slackers. If you are thinking of being a Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something that is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. Guys, don't check your brains at the door. If there is something that is itching inside of you, there's, there's questions that you don't have answers to, guys, I'm giving you permission today in this place, in this church, to ask those questions. And, and I can tell you this about our church. We're a church that's not going to discourage your questions. Now, I can't guarantee we're going to have all the answers to them, but I can tell you that Aaron and myself and others here, we are delighted to sit down with you over coffee and hear those questions out and and walk with you and process with you through those things because we believe that science and religion require a pursuit of truth, but it must be done in humility and with honesty. Richard Dawkins also says this about faith, okay, filling the gaps of our understanding. It says creationists. You can insert Christians if you like. Uh, eagerly seek a gap in present-day knowledge or understanding. And if an apparent gap is found, it's assumed that God, by default, must fill it. Uh, in other words, what he's saying is, is um, faith is, is automatically uh, something that, that happens w- when we have a gap of our understanding. And what we do as Christians is we automatically fill that gap with God. 
That's kind of, that's kind of what we do. Now, uh, ultimately, um, faith in anything, by very definition, requires a, a step into the unknown. That's just that's what it does. It requires a step into the unknown. Uh, regardless of whether you're a scientist or uh, a, a religious person, uh, it requires a step into the unknown. And our scientific friends, uh, whether or not they would admit it, they actually are taking steps of faith whenever they take um, principles and theories and things that have been discovered ahead of time and they apply them to their current situations because it's as much as they understand and as they know, they have faith in their reasoning. The same thing happens to us in our faith community. But let me tell you this. We oftentimes in the faith community take unnecessary leaps of faith to fill the gaps that we experience in our life. Now, there is a gap and there always will be, but for most of us, and for some of us, in some situation, the gap exists because we've not pursued faith far enough to be able to close the gap. And I'd like to contend with you that it's possible to actually close the gap in our faith in some areas of the things that we believe. Uh, allow me to take the, the Bible, for instance, okay? Um, this book, this compilation of writings, uh, is, is called the Bible, all right, that's, that's a scientific fact. It's called the Bible. But there's a belief about this book that some of you guys have come to hold. And that is that this word is actually Holy Scripture, that it is the word of God. Okay, so for, for just a moment here, just allow me to illustrate. This over here is belief that this is the word of God. Most of us are at a starting point that is over here on this side of things. And, and so we see this book of writings and whether you were told or you grew up with understanding that this was the Word of God, a lot of us have just taken this, this huge leap to believe it's the Word of God. But, but can I tell you that it's actually possible to shorten the gap between this step that we must take to believe and have faith that this is the Word of God? You see, th this is actually a, a compilation of writings. This is a literary work. It's, you can actually look at the literary accuracies according to, uh, to this book. And you can actually go historically and see that th this is the, w one of the most um, documented, resourced things that has ever existed in a literary world. And, and you can actually uh, test this according to historical criticism. And, and you can look at the anthropological evidences. There were people that this book talks about that, that they really existed. And you can take a look at the archaeological evidences. You can see the places that have been discovered because people said, you know what, there's a city here. And they start digging and they, they realize that it actually existed. And you can open up the pages and you can read the promises and you can test them for yourself. And you can see the congruency between the 40 different authors that have written this book over the course of 1,500 years. And all of a sudden you wind up at a spot that you are much closer closer to coming to the conclusion that this is the word of God than you were when you started. Now, there is always going to be a gap. There's always a step of faith that exists in being able to understand that this is the word of God. But now that happens to be the most logical conclusion that I can come to as opposed to the biggest step of faith that I have to take. Now, here's what I'm not doing, guys. I'm not trying to convince any of you guys that the Bible is the word of God. What I am trying to do is, is help you to understand that as a faith community, we must pursue truth with humility and honesty, and we can actually shorten the gap in our faith in many areas of our lives. Guys, I, I'm here to tell you, I believe that there is a creator God, one who actually loves me and cares about me, not because it's what my faith and religion tells me. It's because as I've studied this, as I've looked at different evidences and different clues, it is the most logical conclusion that I can come to. Del Tackett says something similar to this. He says, you and I don't need to be afraid to look into the telescope. 
And we don't need to be afraid to look into a microscope because the evidence supports the existence of God. Again, I'm not here to convince you of those things. What I'm trying to tell you is that religion and science require a pursuit of truth. But it must be done with humility and with honesty. We can close the gap on some of these big gap issues. You know, one of the prominent scientists in our days uh, that has not been afraid to examine his face under the scrutiny of science is a guy named Francis Collins. Uh, he was the head of the Human Genome Project. He, he wrote a book called The Language of God. If, if this kind of stuff gets your juices flowing and your scientific mind, you enjoy these kind of conversations, this is a great book. It will challenge you at a high intellectual level. There's a lot of things that are over my head here, a lot of things that I probably don't even agree with, but it's challenged me. And this is one of the things that he says about this this concept. He says, if God is truly almighty, he will hardly be threatened by our puny efforts to understand the workings of his natural world. And as seekers, we may well discover from science many interesting answers to the question, how does life work? What we cannot discover through science alone, however, are the answers to questions like, why is there life anyway? And why am I here? So Francis Collins, a a notable scientist, is is saying that there are actually limitations to the concept of science in general. That's what he's he's telling us. And so uh, allow me to share with you guys kind of an illustration that as I was trying to harmonize these things uh, several years back, uh, somebody shared this illustration with me, and I thought, you know what, that's that's something I think that might be helpful. So uh, for, for just a moment, imagine with me that this box represents the universe, okay? And everything in it. Now, uh, scientists, virtually all scientists today, uh, would come to the same conclusion that there was a point of origin of the universe. There was a beginning. That wasn't always the case. Um, matter of fact, Albert Einstein had this, this concept, and uh, he couldn't figure things out, and so he called it the cosmological constant, which basically represented this idea that the universe always was. Uh, but there's evidences in the 1960 to say that, no, there actually was a beginning to the universe, a, a big bang, if you will. That would be the concept where there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, boom, there was something. And so in the box, okay, uh, we have everything that exists in the universe. Oops, there's a cake in here. Let's take that cake out. We don't want the cake in here. Okay, so... Um, Anyway, all right, so we have a cake in there. Okay, so now this represents everything that, uh, that represents that, that is in the universe, okay? And so inside of the box, uh, what we find are things like uh, time, okay? So time is in the box, and, and we, we see uh, energy. Energy is, is in the box, and we see, we see matter. Uh, matter is in the box, and, and, and then we have space. And I couldn't come up with good illustration, but that's, we're just going to grab some space and throw it in the box, okay? So it's all in the box, Okay, Now, what science does is it enlists a bunch of different exercises and disciplines to help understand the things that are in the box. Things like geology and biology and physics and chemistry, all those things that you hated in high school, right? Astronomy. And what, what, what those things do is it takes natural principles from inside the box to help understand what's inside the box. But... If there was a point in an origin where this box didn't exist and now it does, you come to a conclusion. There, there's either something came from nothing and the natural is all that you have, or that there's actually something that's supernatural that sparked the beginning of this. Now, again, I'm not here to convince you of one of those two things. But if, in fact, there is something that is supernatural on the outside of this, then what you can't do is you can't take what's inside the box to try to explain the thing that's outside the box. It doesn't work like that. 
Okay, so the supernatural God who actually created time, space, and matter, and energy, and all that kind of stuff cannot actually be proven or disproven by the existence of the things that are inside the box. Matter of fact, Francis Collins also says, he says, no scientific observation can reach the level of absolute proof of the existence of God. But neither can it disprove the existence of God because the natural can't prove or disprove the supernatural. One of the things that makes it really hard for us to understand is when we start thinking about God, we have limitations on our thinking. We start asking questions like, well, if God created the universe, who created God? What came before God? But, but do you see the error in that logic? What happens is, is we are thinking inside the box. We're thinking time and time and space. You see, if God actually created time and space and he's outside of it, he's not confined to those things. And so there's no beginning and end to God. Make sense? Follow me? Guys, this, this thing kind of reminds me of a, of a story that you, you guys might have heard. It was a, um, a biologist, an evolutionary biologist, actually made an appointment with God. And, and so he came to God and he says, you know, God, we, we've been able to do some pretty miraculous things these days. We, we've, uh, we completely understand the human genome now. Uh, we, we actually can transport, uh, transplant organs and, and do that. Same. We can actually clone people. So we've come to the conclusion um, you're actually not needed anymore. We could do this on our own. Well, God, God kind of laughs a little bit, and he says, okay, all right, well, let's, let's put your theories to the test. Let's, let's have a contest. And science is like, okay, I'm up for that. He's like, let's, let's, let's have a man-making contest, but, but we're going to do it the way that I did it back when I created Adam. And so the scientist is like, all right, sounds good. And so he bends down, and he, he grabs some dirt, and, and God goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? He's like, well, you created Adam out of the dust, and so that, we're starting with some dirt. And God goes, whoa, whoa, no, no. No, that's my dirt. You go get your own, right? That's the problem of the box in our understanding of this. If God is outside of the box, then the science only can explain that which is inside the box. See, science and theology are their own disciplines. Science seeks to explain the natural while theology tries to explain the supernatural. And the fact of the matter is, is we get it wrong. And there's a lot of things that we're unsure about. But... But neither one of these disciplines can actually make a determination on the other side because they're outside of their own realms. Now, what they can do is they can actually speak into each other's disciplines. There's a really smart guy uh, named Tim Keller, and he, he wrote this book called The Reason for God. And well, he, he uses this term. He says that science and the things of nature can actually offer clues, not proof, but clues to the very existence of God. And they're things that should be pursued for us to be able to come to an understanding of. You see, there are questions that science doesn't answer and cannot answer. And there are questions that Scripture doesn't answer and cannot answer because we have limited understanding and knowledge at this time. Okay, with that being understood, what we should do is approach both of these disciplines with caution, with humility, and with honesty. This guy named St. Augustine, as some of you guys have heard of him, he's a great theologian, but before he turned his life over to Jesus, he was actually an atheist. And so he had kind of a different way of thinking about things as he was processing them. And, and he was particularly aware of the risks of turning biblical texts into precise scientific treaties. And he wrote with specific reference to Genesis, he says this, in matters that are so obscure and far beyond our vision. He's, he's speaking of the creation account at this point. He says, we should not rush in headlong and so firmly take our stand on one side that if further progress in the search for truth justly undermines this position, we too fall with it. 
In other words, what he's saying is be careful not to take such a strong theological stance on a scientific matter that if for some reason science was actually to prove that wrong, that your faith would fall alongside it. Now, guys, there have been uh, lots of situations throughout history where this has happened. I want to give you just one particular illustration. Uh, how, how many of you guys have heard of a name Gal- Galileo? Anybody Galileo Galilee? Yeah, I don't know what his parents were thinking when they named him that, all right? But uh, very famous guy, all right? He was, he was a pursuer of truth. He also happened to be a pursuer of God, had a strong faith in God. He was one of those guys who said, you know what? Because of my devotion to God, I am going to be a dedicated scientist, and I'm going to find things out. Well, at the time of Galileo, there was a, there's a particular view of the universe. It was called a geocentric view, which basically you can see up here on the, on the screen. Uh, you can see that people believe that the earth was actually the center of the universe at the time. Everything else rotated around it. And this was, a, this was a popular belief, and it was one that was held by both the scientific community and the religious community. But Galileo said, you know what, I'm going to challenge that. Because I, I, I see in my observations something that's different. And so as he started to observe things and put the scientific process in place and, and figure things out, what he realized was that the earth was not the center of the universe, that things didn't revolve around it, that the, the sun actually was the center of our universe, and therefore um, everything revolved around it. Now, he was met with opposition from both the scientific community and the religious community. However, the scientific community eventually used their processes and their, their seeking of truth um, to, to get over that and to further prove or disprove this. But the religious community, what they did was uh, they actually shunned Galileo because what, what they have done is because of their understanding of theology and their grasp of God and the importance of mankind in this whole thing, they put earth at the center of this thing and they said it actually goes against our scriptural belief that there could be something different. And so they tried to silence him and they actually put him on house arrest and they told him he couldn't teach the things that he was teaching. Well, what happened in that moment was that, that he was actually ended up being proved correct. Copernicus and Kepler later on go, yeah, the heliocentric view of the universe is actually the correct one. And it discredited the church's stance on this particular deal. So as, as a faith community, guys, we must be careful not to overstep our boundaries through theology and understanding God. Otherwise, in pride, we'll actually prove our ignorance and we could discredit our faith. We need to be careful as we approach this. But on the flip side, science also needs to be careful in its attempt to answer things that are outside of its realm with its limited knowledge. Because the fact of the matter is, and we understand this about science, science is constantly disproving itself because it's searching for, for new answers. But you put into place things based upon other things, other assumptions and theories that have been uh, created. And that affects the way that we move and we act. There, there was a time where the greatest scientific minds believed that the earth was actually flat. Right? Well, well, that affected exploration. It affected the way that mankind responded to this. They wouldn't go out into the sea and explore new things because they were afraid they are going to fall off the edge of the, the earth or get eaten by sea monsters. Uh, there, was a, there was a time where, where science believed the cell was really just kind of this, this amino glob. And so it was easy for, for scientists to come to this, this idea of, of the evolutionary process, things emerging from this glob. But, but now as they look into it further, they see the cell, and they understand that it operates more like an organized city than some kind of uh, unorganized glob. And that changes your perspective on certain things. Uh, there are, are, are famous astronomers and scientists that have taken note and tried to count the stars. Uh, once in 300 A.D. and once in 1600 A.D., uh, two different guys uh, counted the stars, and both of them got less than 2,000 stars in the sky. And that was the scientific knowledge of the day. 
That was taken for credit. Now we know through the Hubble, uh, Hubble telescope and other things that there are billions upon billions upon billions of stars in the sky. That changes the way that we think about things and look at things. The atom is no longer the smallest particle. We know this. Pluto is no longer a planet. Well, maybe it is, I, and then it's not again. I, they keep getting that one wrong. I, I don't know. I, my, my daughter keeps asking me, is Pluto a planet or not? I'm like, I don't know, sweetheart. They can't get that one figured out. It's a dwarf planet is what they say right now. Okay, but, but here's the deal. Science is constantly trying to disprove itself so that it can come to conclusions. We just need to approach it with caution and understanding. But science and religion require pursuit of truth, but it must be done with honesty and humility. There's an agnostic astrophysicist who wrote the book God and the Astronomers, and this is what he had to say. He says, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. See, what's in the box gets you to, back to the place of the point of origin of the box, but it can't tell you what's outside of it or why it happened in the first place. That's that is a, a, a conclusive determination at this point in time in, in our understanding. And this is what he says. It says, For the scientist who is led by his faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, and he's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries, and all the theologians say, I told you so. No, that should not be our response. The response should be an arm lifted to the guy, to the scientist, saying, please come up here and sit with me. Can you show me how you got to this place by your science so that my faith could be encouraged? And the scientist should look to the theologian and say, can, can you show me how you got to this place with your theology so that my science can be accurate and, and I can understand things better? Guys, it is possible. It is possible to be a devoted Christian and a dedicated scientist. I believe that with all my heart. Now, some of you guys might be distracted by this cake that's sitting up here. I know I have been the entire time. But you, there's, there's lots to be discovered about a cake, all right? There, there are lots of, there's lots of things for us to understand about a cake like this. Now, depending on who you talk to, uh, you, you might get a very different opinion and perspective on the cake. If you talk to a... A chemist, he's probably going to talk to you about the, the compound of its ingredients. Right? You talk to a mathematician, and he, he, might, he might speak of measurements and, and shapes and sizes. You, you talk to an anthropologist, and he might, he might take you back to the origins of its beginning and how this particular cake it took shape. You, you talk to a theologian, he might talk to you about the God-given purpose of this cake. <laughs> you, talk, you talk to the baker... You talk to the baker, he might even be able to tell you why this cake was made. But guys, don't miss out on a very important piece of the puzzle. Cakes are made to be enjoyed, right? They're, they're made to be enjoyed. And I believe the best way that we can enjoy the truth that is offered in this life is by creating a harmony, a pursuit of truth with humility and with honesty so that we can enjoy the cake of this universe that, that has come to existence. Guys, science and religion require pursuit of truth, but it must be done with humility and with honesty. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for our conversation today. And uh, Lord, you know that a lot of this stuff is well over my head and my understanding. 
but there's something about pursuing these concepts at this higher level that doesn't shake my faith. It doesn't rattle me. It, it actually strengthens me. And it causes me to, to look and see you in awe. And Father, forgive us where we in pride just dismiss things and we don't pursue things. Uh, forgive us where we've looked at a, another side of the argument and, and not given them any kind of credibility. Lord, I pray that you would allow humility and honesty to guide our pursuit of you and that you'll show up in a big way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.